Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lindsay. Hey everyone, I'm Lindsay D, Compulsive Overeater, Bulimic, Restrictor, Grateful Member of Overeaters Anonymous. Hi. Hi, it's so nice to hear and see all of you, and congrats on 60 Days, Uli, and welcome Yvonne and Christine and Gracie, and happy 10 years, Michelle. And thank you uh, for setting this up and getting this all going. Um, and hello out there in Zoom world, and hello to everyone who's listening to me uh, via this podcast. Um, <clears throat> I uh, walked into my first OA meeting in 1997, and I never left. So I'm 24 years strong in this program. And my current abstinence is uh, three years and two months, almost to the day. Uh, off of purging of any kind, meaning I don't throw up my food, I don't spit my food, I don't take uh, laxatives to relieve myself, I don't do any compensatory measures. Once I eat um, something, it stays inside of me. Um, Since hitting my three-year mark off of purging, uh, recovery from purging, I added binging to my recovery, to my abstinence, rather, because uh, I was still doing that occasionally, although um, not to the degree that I was when I was in the pit of my disease. Um, However, it really was still happening, and by the grace of God and my sponsor's suggestion, um, I've added that to my recovery, and I haven't binged in a couple of months, and I have to say that feels really, 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 really good. Um... So I'll tell you a little bit about myself and sort of what got me here. I do feel quite nervous. Um, My heart is, like, rapidly beating like a drum in my chest. Um, (laughs) But that is also a sign of life, and I'm really grateful for my heartbeat. Um, So my childhood um, (laughs) was definitely... uh, loaded in in various ways, as many of us uh, tend to come to know about one another. Um, I was a very, very high-performing child, uh, everything from academics to athletics to dance and the creative arts. I was one of those overachieving every activity, let's try it, which one am I going to excel at the most, and like, where am I going to be placed, and what am I going to win, and how am I going to, and my parents were like my biggest cheerleaders in the whole world. My dad didn't go to college. My mom was an elementary school guidance counselor. They would often say things like, we don't really know how you came about. <laughs> like, we don't, we, we don't, we're not sure we had anything to do with this, but like, they were like obsessively thrilled. Um, and it was really cute, and I had a lovely childhood on Long Island in New York. I was born in Queens. And um, I loved everything that I did. I loved everything that I did with my body. I loved gymnastics. I loved sports. I loved to learn. It was like, I loved people. I was just like, everything about life, I was like this and this and this and this and this and this. And I loved food. Loved food. And I was very, like, from an early age, like, I was into doing things with food. Like, I traded the icing for the cake. Mm-hmm. Like, or like the, like the Carvel crunchy part. Like, I would make trades with kids around food. Um, I would bake and sell things. Like, I I was definitely into eating. Uh, 
my mother was not so into eating. She was rather into restricting and controlling food and being, my mother was an incredible, incredibly disciplined disciplinarian uh, kind of a personality. My father was, uh, I called him the, the literal sugar daddy. He would hide sugar. And then when my mom would make us have Rice Krispies and cornflakes, he would literally come and spike my cereal <laughs> with something sweet. And don't tell your mom, right? He would take me to Hebrew school, and we would swing by Dunkin' Donuts, and he would take me from my sporting events and, sorry, and stop, you know, for ices, and it was all very sweet <laughs> and, like, kind of exciting, and also, like, they would fight about it, but it was, like, nothing crazy, you know what I mean? Um, and then it just became clear that my father, who was in recovery in another program, um, did not quite have the spiritual awakening that we like to think we have. He was not happy, joyous, and free. He was rather still very tortured, I think, in many ways, and still had something of an undiagnosed, I believe now, mental illness of some variety. Um, and he had a serious rage problem, like a serious fucking off the charts. Oh, my God, I got warned in the email. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, uh, he, he was a rageaholic. He was a rageaholic. He would threaten me physically. He would occasionally come after me. It was very... Um, it was very aggressive, and it was very provocative, and I was very responsive. And it kind of just became this thing that we were also, like, all hiding, you know, the whole, like, present, present the perfect family and, like, hide the fact that, like, dad is... Oh, I did it again. Oh, my God. Let me just pause. No cursing. Stop it. <laughs> so my dad would blow up and go just off the charts, and I was hysterical about it, and I became very emotionally um, volatile, and I would have some serious lability kind of emotional waves. Food became a little bit more comforting in lieu of all of that, but I was still very successful, and everything looked still really, really good by the time I was graduating high school. And I did not identify as having an eating disorder. I was never overweight. I was into diets, but not in a compulsive way. I was really busy, like life. And then I went off to an Ivy League school that I didn't want to go to, kind of got persuaded by my parents, and I went to this one school, and I was really not very happy there, and I was on a varsity soccer team. And um, within, like, a few months, um, I was binging off of tailgate parties. I wasn't playing. I was getting benched. My uniform was dry. I would then go to the tailgates and see all the families and all the, like, celebrations around all the girls who were playing and all the parents who seemed really sane. And, like, my sort of feelings about my dad and my feelings about myself. And I just started to binge. And that became a problem very fast because if you're on a Division One sports team, you can't start gaining weight, especially if you're not playing. Um, and within a few months... Uh, I was in a dorm with many boys, which was super weird. Like, in a dorm, like, living, like, the 80% of the, like, the guys, I remember, other the, the students at the school were boys, and that was always very uncomfortable. I like boys, but, like, not to, like, live with. And, like, I, but we lived in the one with the laundry. Um, and so one day I found, like, the bathroom and the laundry and the dryers and the washing machine, and I threw up for the first time, and I was like, no one can hear me. And that was the first time I purged my food. And that was it. Within a few months, I was 10 to 15 times a day throwing up, going in and out. It's 1997, six, excuse me. And, um, you know, eating disorders were not like, <laughs> they were not given the same attention that they're given now. I'm, I'm thrilled that they're given more attention now. 
Uh, I was powerless, and I did not have the language to know that that was what was going on, even though my father was a program and my mom was a program guy. Probably I was shunning any program language, too, because like now I have my own thing, and also it was all their fault. So it was like, very confusing. And um, I found this nutritionist who was working uh, with a doctor who basically was prescribing medication. He was not a psychiatrist, um, but he was prescribing medication. And he started prescribing, like, mood-stabilizing medications, and then it was their suggestion that I go to this inpatient facility, which was, like, a psych ward in 1997. I was on a mixed unit with a lot of people who were very, very sick, and uh, I was sort of put into protocols and experimental, like, medication treatments for bulimia, like, off-label usage for drugs, and I don't take a position on this outside issue, but I can say that it was a severe trauma, um, that I went to, went through rather, in that period of time. And um, by the time I was like a year into school and in that inpatient facility, you know, I was, uh, <laughs> I was like the most, I, I was just depressed, raging, bulimic, like an absolute shell of myself. I had gained 40 pounds, um, so I was also overweight for the first time in my life. I was teased. I went on... Um, you know, I'm not even talking about how I ate, but you can all, if you read step one in our literature or read any of the AA literature about how you drank, that's what I did with food. I stole everything. I chased everything. I, there was no limit. There was, it was, it was obviously very violent. The purging was very violent. Everything about it was very aggressive. Um, and yet it was comforting. So it was one of these like totally just a classic addiction of comfort and complete and total self-annihilation. Um, when I was in that first uh, hospital, I met a woman who was a heroin addict who had uh, tried to take her life, and she would hear me share, and she was like, this sounds, this just actually sounds worse than what I've got, <laughs> like a heroin addiction. And uh, not to compare, you know, but like she was struck by the nature of the bulimia, and I think that you know, for me, it's the addiction to sugar, to quantity, and to vomiting. And that's like a trifecta of hell for me. And it, the hook was like, unlike anything I can get rid of. And between that time and 2005, I bounced in and out of inpatient facilities, probably six or seven, I think, um, over those years. But I did find a way. <laughs> and that, like, initial time, actually through my dad, he was like, there's someone in my program and you know, we used to call him Big Tony, but now he's not so big anymore. You should go and try. <laughs> and I was like, all right, thanks. And I knew Tony. I knew the Tony he was talking about because people would come over for pressure groups and things like that. And I, I knew exactly who he was talking about. And I knew that Tony had lost weight. And I was like, all right. So I started going to an outpatient. Um, uh, sorry, when I was in an outpatient, I started going to OA and in New York City, where I'm from. Um, and so at that point, uh, it was like, I mean, my first meeting had this theme about people who were obsessed, absolute, exactly how it happened, people were obsessed with changing their appearance. It was like a niche kind of thing. So people who went through plastic surgeries obsessively, that was my first meeting. meeting. So we said, you know, go to six meetings initially, um, at least. For me, that one didn't really resonate, but eventually uh, it really did. And OA, when I went back to college to attempt to graduate um, in five years, uh, I found a segment of OA called How, um, and I got very in with How in, uh, in, in where I went to school, and um, it saved my life. Saved my life. Hands down, 
it was like I had this like wet bulimic brain and the how program and what I found there, which, you know, within OA uh, completely gave me what I needed. I weighed and measured my food. I was not on any of my binge foods. I was just, and I changed, I went from pre-med to graduating with an English degree and like crushed school and graduated and was like, and thought I had been saved. Unfortunately, that kind of spiraled into anorexia, and then the bulimia picked up again, and then I was, like, back in it. So, like I said, in and out of um, facilities and in and out of uh, deep, 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 deep suicidality, um, but also going to OA. And I started to connect with fellows. I started to connect more and more with the message, and I started to recognize that the only answer, as we say, was this program. I knew on, in a, on a deep gut level, thank God, I knew that there was something going on here that I needed and that if I was going to be saved, it was not going to be from any of the routes that I was prior, you know, seeking prior, of, you know, and at the very least not those being the primary routes. And then in 2005, um, when I was inpatient, someone took his life on the unit. Um, and at that point, I was in, it's like, an advanced, you know, protocol. They were doing fMRIs of my brain to study the brain, the bulimic brain. And I was, like, really into it, too, because, of course, I was telling everybody how to do it because I had some OA in me. So I was like, do your science and do your, like, scan my brain, but let me tell you about God. Like, seriously, that's what I would do in the hospital was bananas, but also good. Like, maybe I planted a seed. So I get out in 2005. That horrible uh, event happened. And I had a moment where I said, I'll never do, I'm never going inpatient again, ever. And I'm not, I'm getting out of this system and out of treatments and whatnot. And I focused, I threw myself into OA. That was 2006. I have been struck very, very fortunate uh, with sponsors. Sponsoring is a tool of our program. You find someone what you, who has what you want and ask them how they got it. And do it. <laughs> and if you don't want to do what they suggest, my suggestion is to pray for the willingness and keep praying for the willingness and stick to them if they have what you want. I've had incredible sponsors. And in 2011, I met a sponsor who absolutely saved my life. She had God in her email. Like her address was like, da 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 at yes to God. And I was like, tell me more. <laughs> and, um, you know, she... Uh, she was incredible. I, before this lead, I, I dug up emails. I was like, when did I find her? When was that? It was 2011. And I looked at my emails, and you know what I was doing when I first asked her? She said, okay, 6.45 a.m., daily call. The daily call, 6.45 a.m. Turn your food over, go to meetings, and start working the steps. And we did it in, like, in like the, I did, when I was in How, I did it with the big book. When I was working with her, I did it with the, the workbook questions and the brown book. And it was, like, all these different... So I did the questions with her, but she, I mean, she would pray, pray, pray. She would pray over me. She loved Jesus. She was like, Jesus loves you. I was like, great, I'm in. Like, like, and, and I'm, that's not my, my religion of origin is Judaism. And even though I was non-practicing at that point because everyone sucked, <laughs> I didn't want anything having to do with religion, right? So she was amazing, and um, she wasn't even bulimic. Like, my sponsors and others have asked me, like, do you have to find someone who has, it, like, the exact manifestation of your disease? My experience during Ben Hope is absolutely not. My current sponsor is not bulimic, doesn't identify as bulimic. She didn't identify as bulimic. She was just incredible, and she gave me so much. She, she fed this well 
and, and she gave me hope um, and faith that a power greater than myself cared enough about me to help me and that I was going to be a miracle of recovery. And I kept falling down and I kept picking up and I kept coming back. Thank God I kept coming back. Thank God, thank God, thank God. And the other thing I did was I doubled up by going to AA. So I was living in New York at the time and I decided that I needed more. I needed like the mothership, you know. And so I stopped drinking and I went to AA, even though I was not identifying as an alcoholic, but I was like, look, I'm going to be sober, and they were like, great, and we would go to the diner, like in Soho on Saturday and Sunday morning at like 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would like hang with these sober alcoholics, and it was like this incredible period for me in terms of just getting more big book, getting more step insight, getting, and also, frankly, hearing really low-bottom cases, you know, and people who were on the other side. I didn't just want to hear, I did not, at that point in my recovery, I could not tolerate, like, non-low bottom in, in a way. <laughs> like, what have you been through, you know? Like, let me tell you. Like, I was definitely running with, like, I have it the worst. No one else has this disease as bad. Like, that was my head in a big way. But then I started, of course, hearing <laughs> equally and, 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 even more devastating stories than my own, and people who were on the other side. That is what I needed. I didn't just need, yeah, me too. Yep, I got this. I get it. I've been there. I'm doing I needed, and I'm on the other side, and this is how I got there. By going to meetings, by working the steps, by changing persons, you know, um, people, places, and things, by being willing to be very uncomfortable. And so, what started to happen for me in that process from 2011 until about 2017-18, I had many stretches of abstinence. I was not a big counter. I had many, I called my incredible sacred abstinent days and weeks and months, but I did not have years of back-to-back abstinence. I just kept going back. Um, My ability at that point, I think, when I really paused to think about who I was at that time, I mean, I was just, I was so broken by what had happened. I had so much shame. I was so just devastated and angry and fearful. I mean, our, our inventories are anger and fear. It's a resentment list. What are you angry at? And then we go underneath. It's what are you afraid of? And at that point, I was just riddled, riddled with anger, fear, and shame. And yet I was able through this program to start to heal some of that. Now, for me, um, the throwing up eventually became a non-starter and I stopped doing it. However, I started spitting up my food, which I had never done before and was just like another tentacle. And at this point, I was no longer working with that sacred sponsor and I had I had moved into a place where I didn't have a sponsor, and I was feeling, at this time, like 37, 38, 39, like getting very existential about turning 40, and like maybe I need to go, you know, it was after like Eat, Pray, Love, and it was after like, it's it's happening in Bali now, and like, where do I go? And, you know, it was, and like, like, yes, like all of it, maybe I go to Bali, but I never went to Bali. I'm not going to Bali, but like, like, it was like, everything was just this sort of mild sort of but not mild because I don't do most things mild especially like (laughs) dramatic existential like turning 40 and never married and all the things and like 
And I started spitting my food, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, really? Like, I'm going to be that? I'm going to, like, turn 40 and be, like, slipping into the bathroom and just, like, what? I was like, and then I, it really, it dropped in. Like, I get a lot of, I just call them, like, you know, I'm not the only one who calls them. People call them downloads. I like to call them downloads. I feel, I hear my higher power. And my higher power is just like, girl, like, you're going to get nothing that you want. And I had gotten a lot of things, even in my 30s when I was recovering. I got a lot of my 20s, too. But in my 30s, a lot of stuff started to happen that was wonderful. But I heard, you are not going to get what you really, 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 really want. You're not going to get your heart's desire if you're, like, spitting up your food, not really surrendered, not really work. Like, really, it was kind of like a get-it-together moment, you know? And I remember exactly where I was on my 41st birthday. I was living in downtown Brooklyn, and I was doing this. My sponsor knows about this. I would do food mutilation. So I would, like, order food and, like, eat some of it, like the thing but not the thing, and, like, put half the thing away but eat the thing and then set the thing and then go get it and then eat it and then... It was disgusting, and I say that with no judgment. <laughs> and uh, I hit bottom and I, with that, and I was like, you know, and I had some really low bottoms with my bulimia. I mean, we're talking like midtown bathrooms, like, you know, obscure parts of upstate New York throwing bags out the window. I mean, I had some pretty major bottoms, but there was something about this bottom that was just different. And I jumped in, and I found this bad, bad amazing, B-A, amazing sponsor in New York. Again, sponsor, sponsor, incredible sponsor blessings. And she was in multiple programs, and she was like, here we go. Like, this is what it is. And she pointed out my restricting every single time I restricted. And, like, bless her, because every restriction has led to a binge for me. That's law. So I was always saving my calories because I thought I was going to maybe binge at night. So, like, I can't eat a lot during the day. But by not eating a lot during the day, I was guaranteeing I was going to binge at night. It was insane, but that's what I have. I have an insane, I have a disease that wants me dead. It manifests itself with insane thinking that serves the disease. So that thinking, I thought I was helping myself. I thought I was doing a good thing. She was like, no, no. Like, what are you eating before two? And like, bless every sponsee who I've worked with since her because I point out they're restricting every single time. And it's not fun (laughs) for either of us, you know? And so I, you know, the, got the spinning under, um, lifted. I was going to say under control. That doesn't happen. Um, the spinning was lifted. I was surrendered. And then um, I had always wanted to move to L.A. since, like, 2010. And I've been listening to Light a Candle for a long time. And I was like, I really, really still want to move to L.A. And my sponsor was like, I think you're pulling a geographic. And I was like, I don't agree with that. I'm still really going to go. And I went out and came out here. And I found, like, the cottage and, like, started. I, like, even found, like, a sponsor who would sponsor me as soon as I moved here. And I didn't even know that I was moving here. I just, like, I was like, she's awesome. I asked her. And we started talking. She's like, yeah, of course you should move out here. She's amazing. And so we started working together, and then my New York, you know, sponsor and I was like, I'm actually going to go. And so at 40, in 2019, 
whatever age it is, who cares? Um, I packed up my things and got on a plane and, like, moved here by myself with very little savings and no real job guarantee. And I landed, by the grace of God, in uh, a beautiful little sweet guest house uh, on the property in the town where near where Light a Candle is. And um, I just got here and just jumped into program. And for the first few months, everything was awesome. And I was abstinent and very much in this incredible, like, God took me here, like, this is, like, it, and I was really, I mean, talking about the mothership, this is, like, the OA mothership, um, and I, I didn't say, I've, I've worked the steps multiple times, I had started then working steps one and two again with that sponsor in New York, but then I left and came here, and I was going to continue my step work, and I started to work with this new sponsor, I was here, and then, um, I'll share, because we're going to move, we're, we're, I'm not going to mind, like, 10 minutes? <laughs> Look, see, thank you. <laughs> okay, so cut to like 2019, and I really was loving OA in LA. And then I go home to get my dog, who was like the sweetest. That's the understatement of the year. He was he was my higher power. We talked about like how do you find a higher power in here? Like my connection with this particular animal was very healing and very, very, very special and a huge part of my spiritual life and my life in New York and everything. So I went home and I got him or, and then I brought him back and then he got cancer, like in August. And all I can say is if you were in a meeting with me in real life between August and the pandemic, I'm sorry, because I was the hottest mess I was the hottest. I remember I was secretarying a meeting or either leading or secretarying a Wednesday night meeting, and I was shaking. I, like, couldn't – I could not – I mean, he was dying. I was trying to save him through all the means. I mean, this dog is a like Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, like, the most stunning animal, this animal, and he's, like, dying, and then the pandemic happens. And then a month into the pandemic, he goes. He transitions. And – um. So, and I live alone, and here we go, right? So we all have our pandemic stories, and we all have these incredible challenges, right? And I thank God for my willingness to work the program because it wasn't me. I hear people, I work a discipline program. I work at, you know, I work that. This is what I do. And I'm like, great. Like, my higher power, I believe, gifted me the willingness to do these things, right? And if I want to maintain the momentum of willingness, I just do what I did yesterday, so by the grace of God, I mean, I'm on Zoom doing meetings. I pick up sec- uh, secretary positions, service positions. I forgot to mention I transitioned sponsors in that period, too, and I have the most awesome, incredible sponsor, and she's here tonight and was an incredible life-saving presence during my grieving and the pandemic and what we've gone through uh, collectively and as a society and as individuals. And I shared, and I would get on meetings and share and, like, do service and work on my steps, do my step work and sponsor multiple women. And, like, God bless you. Like, I don't know how – I really don't know how that happened. Um, I have a very close relationship even still with my higher power, even without the presence of my dog, Charlie. Um, And that largely comes through nature and, and the ocean and Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) <laughs> Am I right? 
and you know, so I would go on these bike rides and right and like do the whole thing and just like the ocean and come back and then connect and then like I stayed healthy, I stayed abstinent. Even I had a couple of binges the whole entire time, and they were hiccups compared to what I used to do. You know, I eat kind of the same thing every day. Like I have a super boring food life. I do have red light foods that I occasionally eat. Uh, they don't live in my house. <laughs> I cannot be roommates with my red light foods. I eat them occasionally. Um, I uh, I do meditate um, every day. I have a lot of movement and exercise and fitness and dance and expression in my life. I've been teaching for ten years. Um, I taught, uh, you know, I've been teaching for a long time, and I love it. And um, it has been very special for me to be able to help people recover and move and learn to love their their bodies. But by the, you know, I would never. I couldn't be the, the teacher who I really wanted to be when I was still active in this disease. And thank God, through being uh, clean <laughs> and in recovery, I've really been able to thrive. And I'm so grateful um, for all of that. And I, um, you know, I have managed to heal from a lot of my trauma in this program. Um, not all of it. <laughs> it is an ongoing uh, adventure. I do um, seek outside help, but I don't take any medication, and I haven't since 2005, and I don't comment on that as an outside issue, but that is my experience. I don't drink. I don't take drugs. I don't even take edibles, not even since moving here. <laughs> and I'm just like, we're doing this with coffee and program. And, my, you know, like, that, like, that's what I do. And, like, that's only substance, but I do have still a fair amount of coffee. Um, and that's got to be okay. I, I do my best to work a gentle program with myself, but that doesn't mean that I don't work a rigorous program. So I have a loving approach to being rigorous about my program. I don't fuck it. Oh, my God. It's so good. Are you going to delete this? Is no one going to hear it? Is no one going to hear it in the world? I'm going to, okay. Um, I don't mess around. My program is, has saved my life. You know, people saved my life through their rigorous programs. So I, I look, you know, there's a stick with the winners, you know, sort of a thing. But I, I, I just really see it as, like, who needs the same kind of approach to the program as I do? And, like, I'll, I'm, I love to hear the, the diversity within OA. So many different approaches, but the, the, the unification is in the step work without a doubt. Um, the unification is having a clarity around abstinence and a clarity around food plans. So my food plan is different than my abstinence. My abstinence has a definition. My food plan has gone through various incarnations over the years. Um, and I get very emotional about my program <laughs> too because it's like I consider myself a miracle of this program. And it's, 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 I feel very blessed that I am where I am today, even though it has been an incredibly difficult road over the years. And I'm grateful that I can dwell more in being the miracle than I can in being over um, what happened over the years. Because for a while, even when I was in recovery, I still couldn't. It was like, they were like, you're a miracle, you're abstinent. And I'm like, yeah, but let's talk about the 15 years and how that all went. Like, can we talk about that? And I have a lot of fear that I have to bring to God every day. Um, 
I lay it at my higher power's feet, usually in the morning, um, to the best of my ability. Um, I don't do a daily 10-step at the moment. I'm working on a fourth step with new, fresh resentments <laughs> and new, fresh amends that I will eventually, you know, make. And, um, you know, I feel, I do feel very proud of my recovery, too. And I think that was something that took a minute for me to get to as well. You know, like, I'm kind of proud of myself. I'm like, you did that, like, even though God did that. So it's like, we did that. And we continue to do it a day at a time. And that's the best we can do. And I guess the last thing I'll say is, I, if you are new, if you have heard this for the first time and it resonates, I'm so, so glad. And if, certainly if you're struggling and it resonates, I'm so glad. And if it doesn't, please just go to go to the next speaker on the podcast or switch back. There are hundreds of Voices of Recovery. There's actually a book called Voices of Recovery, too. That's really, really good. And um, for, for OA, for Overeater Anonymous uh, Stories, because there are such, um, like I said, such a diversification of recovery stories in here. And don't quit before the miracle happens. You know, just keep coming back. And find people who you feel safe with um, to talk and to speak and pray for the willingness. That's what I would say, too. And just remember, like, we are all just doing this a day at a time. There are no stars in this program, and there is no one who runs it. It's so incredible because we just all do it a day at a time together. Um, I think I will wrap there. I'm so grateful for the chance to speak here, and thank you um, for listening. I mean, sure. So the question is, how do I do daily step work? Yeah. Yeah. So I take the first, second, and third step every day. Every day. I admit that I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. I take a moment to be aware that my higher power is restoring me to sanity, that without this program I am insane. And then I take the third step, which is that I turn my will and my life over to the care of a higher power as I understand my higher power. So that's, that's the one, two, three dance every day. Then I pray not to procrastinate doing my fourth step. Because <laughs> that's technically the step I'm on, right? And the step that I'm on, uh, I'm doing through questions and, um, pardon me, readings in the big book, um, the AA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12. So it's like a, and that's something that my sponsor has passed down to me. The way she's done the fourth is the way I'm doing the fourth. And, um, I would say like, uh, not every day, but I will go to literature meetings that focus on the step, which is great. And I also have a sponsee family meeting, sponsor sponsee family meeting. And we do, we read a step. So we get into it that way too. Yeah. You're welcome. Any other questions? We have time. 620. That's it.